0: This archived broadcast of Janet Mefford Today is brought to you by Bible League. Your gift of $35 will send seven Bibles to Christians in need, and your gift of $100 will send 20 Bibles. And right now, with a matching gift, your gift will be doubled. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Welcome, everybody. The International Organization for Migration and the U.N. Refugee Agency, UNHCR, announced in mid-March that they are temporarily suspending resettlement travel for refugees. They said the measure remains in place only for as long as it remains essential. So why is it that during the month of March, the United States brought in more than 1,100 refugees, most of them from Afghanistan? And listen to this from the Chicago Tribune. The massive influx of Afghan refugees refugees in Iran who are returning back home are going back untested and unmonitored to cities, towns and villages around the country and threatening to create a greater outbreak in Afghanistan that could overwhelm its health infrastructure wrecked by decades of war. And so far, Afghan authorities have confirmed 273 cases of the coronavirus, more than 210 of them in people who returned from Iran and four deaths have been recorded. What is going on? Why are we all locked down? While the government, according to Refugee Resettlement Watch, is allowing in refugees from Afghanistan and from the DR Congo. We're going to get some thoughts on all this now from economist and former White House budget analyst Jim Simpson, author of The Red-Green Axis, Refugees Immigration and the Agenda to Erase America, and The Red-Green Axis. 2.0, And Jim is also running as the GOP candidate in Maryland's second congressional district in the 2020 election. Jim, it's great to have you with us again. How are you?
2: Hey, Janet. Great to be with you.
0: Great to have you here. I trust you're doing well and nice and healthy. We need you healthy, Jim, because you're a real expert on this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. What, OK, I'm confused. Uh, I know you know a lot more about this than I do, but I understood that we were going to be not taking in refugees while this coronavirus was aging. And now Anne Corcoran from the Refugee Resettlement Watch blog has indicated, along with the Center for Immigration Studies, that in fact we have been bringing in refugees. What do you know about this?
2: Yeah, isn't that amazing? Isn't that just simply amazing? Well, you know, um, this just reinforces what I've been saying for years, what Anne's been saying for years, uh, You know, the open borders borders agenda is deeply embedded within the State Department. And the State Department, you know, the the people who head those private tax-exempt refugee contracting organizations cycle in and out of the State Department and the Health and Human Services Office of Refugee Resettlement So it's this uh, awful symbiotic relationship that they have, and they all support each other. They all support the agenda, and they don't care (laughs) about the consequences. They do not care, Mm. and this just reinforces uh, that fact that they are willing to put our nation at risk, it's more important for them to continue to resettle refugees. And by the way, the critical component of that is to continue to get paid for that. um, Despite this nationwide crisis, which um, I can speak to uh, with some authority also, because I've been, Following that very closely, but you know, when they did the this massive 2.3 trillion or however much it was $2. Yeah. 2.4 trillion dollar quote unquote stimulus package to uh, keep the economy functioning when we're in total shutdown, uh, 325 million of that was dedicated to the State Department's Refugee Resettlement Program.
0: That's insane. Now, That's insane. That,
2: why do they need any of that? They were appropriated the amount that they needed to bring in the number of refugees that the president capped this year at 18,000, the lowest in its history. But now the State Department is going to have another $325 million to spend, and it did not say to spend to have until expended now as a former budget examiner for the office of management and budget when they say until expended the the technical term is a no year account in other words they aren't subject to an annual appropriation they can spend it as long as they need it (laughs) normally uh, those activities are subject to the annual appropriation rules, which they get this much for this amount of money, and if they don't spend it, that's the end of it. And they're only going to be budgeted the amount they can spend in a year. But this, they will have to spend as long as they need it. So they don't need it now. And so wow. they'll have it available for, for later. It's just simply amazing, and it's one of those awful compromises President Trump made yep. to uh, push that uh, stimulus package
0: through. Yeah. It, it is outrageous. $325 million. I mean, how many people could have gotten checks that were boosted, you know, boosted up from $1,200? Yeah. Americans who have yeah. lost their jobs, small business yeah. owners and people who yeah. live in the United States. I, You know, it just baffles me to see why this is going on. And here, the reason I read this Chicago Tribune excerpt, Jim, was because when you see what's going on with Afghan refugees in Iran contracting coronavirus, my my question is, why in the world are you bringing in all these Afghan refugees? And are you testing them for coronavirus before you're allowing them to come across the border? I, I somehow doubt we're doing that, but I don't know.
2: Well, I doubt it also. And they're probably coming in through the Special Immigrant Visa Program as opposed to through the regular Refugee Resettlement Program, which is primarily managed by the United Nations. And the United Nations committed what I'm certain was an unintended act of responsibility by temporarily postponing the refugee resettlement program because of the COVID crisis. I've never seen them do something responsible like that before, but it surprised the heck out of me. But, but then you put it side by side with the State Department, who is ignoring them and just bringing in people anyway. And, uh, and so it has, it's probably through the Special Immigrant Visa Program, which is just another element of the refugee resettlement program. But it doesn't matter They should not be doing any of this. And it's difficult to know if they're testing people or not. They may be, they may be not. But why would they even contemplate bringing in people at this time? That's just crazy.
0: Yeah, I don't get it. Now, I I go to the Center for Immigration Studies for this factoid. On February 29th of this year, President Trump expanded on this existing ban on travel from Iran in response to the coronavirus outbreak, stopping any foreign national who has visited Iran within the last 14 days from entering the U.S. And yet, Iranian refugees and others from regions of turmoil and insecurity are still being admitted. I'm looking at some of these numbers. 19 nationals from Iran were resettled between January 29th and March 18th, and this was after the period of time in which the coronavirus coronavirus task force was formed. Uh, what are we yeah. doing here? This is insane. Yeah. We we can't leave our houses, but they can come across the world and ostensibly not even receive coronavirus testing and just come on in. Right. Come on in.
2: Right. Right. No, it's 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 stunning. But once again, it underscores the fact that the state department, those bureaucrats in the state department are much more invested in the refugee resettlement program in the open borders agenda than they are in our well-being and health. And everything they've been doing since this thing got started uh, underscores that fact. I mean, you know, they bring in people who uh, stay on welfare for decades. They give them preference over Americans. Uh, They bring in countless people with tuberculosis and other virulent diseases, and they don't do adequate testing on them. They don't do adequate, uh, you know, remediation for those diseases. Um, And as a consequence, we have all kinds of issues. I mean, I wrote about how in New Hampshire, for example, an entire apartment complex had to be shut down because it got infested with
0: Dead Hang on, Jim. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with Jim Simpson here on Janet Muffer Today. Don't go away.
2: From Kingdom Story Company comes I Still Believe. Available now for home viewing on demand. Based on the real-life true story of chart-topping singer Jeremy Camp. I Still Believe reminds us that amidst life's storms, true hope can be found in Christ. You chose willingly to walk into the fire with her. That's what love is. I Still Believe, starring K.J. Appa, Rick Robertson, Shania Twain, and Gary Sinise. More information is available at IStillBelieveMovie.com.
0: Here's Dan Steiner, president of Preborn, with an important update. The global COVID-19 virus is having a terrible impact on the most vulnerable among us, the unborn.
2: Sheltering in orders across the country are spiking the number of unplanned pregnancies, and the preborn call center is inundated with girls calling us. Contrary to government mandates to stop elective surgeries, Planned Parenthood remains open, consuming scarce medical supplies, all the while aborting babies. Our clinics are offering free, Christ-centered alternatives to these women in this time of crisis. But our clinics need your help. Now more than ever.
0: Preborn is the largest provider of free ultrasounds in the country and a direct competition to Planned Parenthood. Will you join Preborn in this time of need? Your gift of $28 will provide one free ultrasound. $140 will provide five free ultrasounds. To donate, just call 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. All gifts are tax deductible. That's 855-402-BABY. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMufford.com. Well, let's take a look at these numbers when it comes to refugees being allowed into the United States. We can't fly on airplanes, generally speaking, because we're all ordered to stay at home. But nearly 2,000 refugees were being flown into the United States during March. Let's look at some of these numbers. The top 10 countries of origin for the refugees resettled from January 29th to March 18th included the Democratic Republic of Congo, Ukraine, Burma, Afghanistan, Iraq, Russia, Sudan, Colombia, Pakistan, and my favorite, Jim Simpson, Syria. We we brought in 66 Syrian refugees, and I don't know what the background is on all of these different people, but we're not sure if these people were tested for coronavirus. Why can't President Trump step in and put a stop to this? What are the difficulties of the president unilaterally being able to do what he does? Because he, he seems to end up in court anytime he tries to do any kind of travel ban anyway. Yeah. But what what well, do we need to know you. about it?
2: I think he's overwhelmed. Honestly, he probably isn't even aware that that's going on. Yeah. Uh, for one thing, uh, the the travel ban that he instituted, or the the travel ban from terrorist supporting nations that he instituted, and was finally, uh, you know, agreed to by the Supreme Court after you know so many court battles. Um, Exempted refugees, so in other words, refugees from those nations could still come under the presumption that they've been vetted, and uh, you know they're trying to escape those countries, uh, everybody as much as we're trying to protect ourselves from those countries. so they were exempted, and my i, I can 't read their minds, but my supposition is that the State Department is just continuing with the notion that refugees are exempted from all of the uh, travel bans that uh, Trump has instituted because they're refugees and they get special treatment and, you know, who, who, who could ever stop them? And I really just think that's their mindset and they're going to do it as long as they can get away with it. Um, and Trump either doesn't want to fight that battle as you know, as too many other battles to fight, or he's just flat out, not aware of it. Um, but you, as we've seen every day, the, the bureaucracy does all kinds of things, uh, behind his back that, um, Uh, you know, that that are outrageous. And he he just can't catch everything.
0: Right, right. He's a little overwhelmed right now, and I certainly understand that. Yeah, He's a lot overwhelmed. But, you know, you look at some of these countries and you think, okay, these are war-torn areas. Syria is a war-torn area, certainly some of these other countries. But 138 Russian refugees, 580 Ukrainian refugees. I mean, I know that's a lousy part of the world to live in, but what what makes them refugees? I don't understand that
2: yeah yeah right right well <laughs> <laughs> it's weird me. the um the the state department uses a very liberal definition of what constitutes a refugee, and I mean they've been trying to expand that definition almost since when the nineteen eighty refugee act was first passed yeah. I mean they created uh uh, during, during the Obama administration, they had the Central American um, resettlement program, which was flying in illegal aliens from Central America, uh, based on the fact that you know they couldn't live where they were living because it was too dangerous. Well, it's always been too dangerous. That's right. not that does not come in under the uh, heading uh, under the definition of refugee, but that doesn't stop them. Right. They keep on doing it anyway. And there's so many ways they keep doing that. I mean, the uh, Department of Homeland Security uh, continues to uh, bring in people and, and, and tries to l- literally sneak past the president uh, in, in, in getting people to come in here. Yeah. And it's, it's simply stunning. It's, it's the deep state keeping, continuing to be the deep state.
0: Exactly. Well, and as you've written in your books on the red-green axis, and we've talked about this on the show before, the link here, um, the left really likes this idea. The Marxist left really likes this idea of open borders. And we've explained some of that previously. But I I thought this was interesting. uh, And I'm sure you know about this. The Thomas More Law Center has now filed a petition with the Supreme Court asking them to hold that the Tennessee General Assembly has standing to challenge the constitutionality of the federal government's forced State funding of the federal refugee resettlement program. Do you think that that's going to get any traction, and what kind of difference might that make if they prevail in court on the issue of being forced to pay for it?
2: Well, the, the, the first time the, the Thomas More Law Center and I know the folks there, and I, I've been following that, and I wrote uh, a long thing about it for the Federalist uh, when when a uh, you know district court or I forget which court it was, but the judge declared, she threw out the lawsuit on the basis of the idea that the Tennessee legislature does not have standing to sue the federal government. Right. It's kind of absurd, but it's one of those legalese type things that make no sense right. uh, to to most of us, but According to the judge, the only person that had standing was the, um, uh, was the attorney general of the state. And so, and the attorney general and the governor weren't down with the legislature, but, but from a practical standpoint, that makes no sense because it's the legislature that passes budgets. It's the legislature that decides how to spend money. And so... Why would the legislature not have any standing to sue the federal government for the unfunded mandates that it imposes on states yeah. uh, through the refugee resettlement program, especially when those states, like Tennessee, uh, drop out of the program? You know, the, uh, the Clinton administration basically invented out of whole cloth a regulation uh, that whenever a state dropped out, of the Refugee Resettlement Program. That didn't mean the Refugee Resettlement Program ended in that state like it should have, like it would have according to the Refugee Act. But instead, the management of the refugee program in that state would be turned over to the refugee contractor. Hmm. So that's like putting the fox in charge of the house. <laughs> right. And of course, I show in, in a number of articles that I wrote about it, that in every state, where the state decided we don't want to participate in the refugee program anymore, the number of refugees that came into that state annually doubled. Hmm. And it's because the refugee contractor, in the case of Tennessee, was Catholic Charities, was taken over. Catholic Charities essentially runs the... um, Refugee Resettlement Program in Tennessee, and it has a vested interest because it gets paid by the heads to resettle refugees, so it has a vested interest in bringing in as many refugees as it possibly can, and the year after the uh, state dropped out, the number of refugees resettled annually doubled, and that's the way it, is. it has been in every state where they drop out. It's, it's amazing, and it's utterly unconstitutional.
0: Well, yeah, because this is a 10th Amendment case and we'll see how this goes. Jim, can you comment because a lot of people have been speaking recently about how the left is weaponizing the coronavirus outbreak for its own broader agenda. Uh, who who would imagine the left would ever let us a serious crisis not go to waste, but how- How do you see how do you see this issue, refugee resettlement and the ongoing resettlement of refugees who who probably were not even tested for coronavirus while the rest of us are all stuck at home lest we get arrested? Um, But how do you see this all fitting together?
4: Well,
2: you know, um, it's it's a crisis. I I don't think that's uh, disputable. It's a virulent disease. It is a bioweapon. It came out of the Wuhan Bioweapons Lab. I think that's beyond dispute. It did not come out of wet markets. It came out of the Wuhan Bioweapons Lab. It was a hybrid virus that was created there. I don't think that they deliberately released it. Uh, I believe it was a mistake. When they deliberately do things, they're much more effective at it. You know, the Communist Chinese wouldn't have any problem with sending out Ebola to the entire world and watching half of us die. Sure. Uh, they'd sit back and, 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 and you know, uh, give each other toasts. Hmm. Um, but when that happened, they instantly went into shutdown mode, and they panicked and began, you know, throwing out absurd propaganda, and at the same time, using their uh, totalitarian um, wedges to shut down the entire country. And, you know, a lot of the people who died in in Wuhan died because they were locked in their apartments. They couldn't get out. They starved to death. Yeah. I mean, it, and, and the total number of deaths in Wuhan is likely more like 40 or 60,000, not the 3,000 that they claim, because that's how many urns they're buying to uh, 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 to fill the ashes of dead people with. It, the uh, cre- crematoriums are running night and day. Yes. And so uh, it was a huge issue for them. It was... It was leaked out by mistake due to their own gross negligence and incompetence, because that is one thing that is characteristic of all Communist governments, is they're absolutely just useless in administration, careless, um, irresponsible, and that's what happened. And so then it got out, of course. We know the story of Italy. We know New York. And and we know what's
0: going on here. Yep, exactly. Well, Jim Simpson, thank you so much. Author of The Red-Green Axis, Maryland's Second Congressional District Candidate. You can find James Simpson on Facebook and Twitter. Jim, thanks so much for being here. And we'll be back on Janet Meffer today. This archived broadcast of Janet Mefford Today is brought to you by Bible League. Your gift of $35 will send seven Bibles to Christians in need, and your gift of $100 will send 20 Bibles. And right now with a matching gift, your gift will be doubled. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com.
1: This is Janet Mefford Today, and now, here's your host, Janet Mefford.
0: Welcome back. What should the government be able to do to houses of worship that will not shut them down during the pandemic. For New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio, the ultimate solution is to shut them down permanently, as he recently stated, much to the shock of most Americans. My next guest has written a great piece over at the New York Daily News outlining why this threat is not only over the top, it's just plain unconstitutional. So we're going to chat for a few minutes with Kristen Wagoner, General Counsel and Senior Vice President of the U.S. Legal Division for Alliance Defending Freedom. So good to have you here, Kristen. How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Thank you. What was Bill de Blasio thinking here? Clearly, he understands the Constitution, or at least I would think he would. But here he was just days ago threatening to shut down houses of worship permanently if they didn't follow his directives on staying at home. What did you make of this when you heard about this particular directive or this particular threat, I should say, of the New York mayor?
3: Well, I think in times like these, we want to always use a presumption of good faith, although it is hard to do that with uh, Mayor de Blasio's record related to religious freedom. But if we apply that, I'm hoping it was a careless exaggeration. But regardless, we did uh, write an op ed to stress that no government official has the power to permanently close the church, not even in New York City.
0: Good. That's good, which we all realize. And what is the reason for that? Because many people are confused. If you have an emergency situation, if you have a worldwide pandemic, you have a, a huge health threat, as, as we've all been hearing about for the last several weeks. What are the limits of government power on being able to intrude upon freedom of religion?
3: Well, the First Amendment protects our free exercise of religion at the federal level. Um, you can't You can't suspend First Amendment rights indefinitely. The government doesn't have the power to do that. Um, And officials need to recognize the role that religion plays in times of crisis. And Mayor de Blasio clearly uh, doesn't seem to have a, a lot of history in recognizing that. So there are constitutional tests that are applied in times of crisis. Um, In most instances, the government's going to need to provide a compelling interest, which means a really important reason to burden religion on a temporary basis. And the government's going to need to be able to show there's no better way than the way that it's proposing. So we're looking at orders across the country to make sure, one, that they're not vague, that they're clear, that they are temporary in nature, that they're consistent across the board. In other words, you can't treat churches worse than you're treating other similar institutions or organizations or gatherings, and that the means of enforcement match with what the goal is. It's so strange to me that de Blasio would talk about potentially letting people out of jail, and yet, uh, at the same time, talking about putting pastors subjected to fines and penalties. Uh, so we do need to hold a feet to the fire on this.
0: Yeah, th- that's really important for people to understand. So there are really narrow parameters on the degree to which the state can overstep and, and involve itself in religious activity. So what do you make, Kristen, of some of these pastors who have refused to shut down their churches? Most churches are shutting down willingly, recognizing that it's a wise and prudent thing to try to keep the congregation from spreading coronavirus. But what should we think about some of these outliers?
3: Well, I think that we demonstrate our love for God by loving our neighbor. And one of the ways we can love our neighbor is to ensure their health and safety in this season. Um, Clearly, mistakes have been made by government officials. They have issued orders that are unconstitutional. We have been watching those and in many instances have actually written letters to government officials to say, you better back it off. Uh, This is an unconstitutional order or you need to clarify it. And we have found that government officials are cooperative in that, that there needs to be a spirit of cooperation on both sides. And I don't think it's in the church's interest or that we're good witness bearers of the gospel to be antagonists in yeah. this season. Right. Um, at the same time, I understand that orders have been issued that have been confusing to pastors, and they have the right to insist on clarification in this time of, of trial
0: Well, that's right. And it's interesting because there's also been this issue recently with the pro-lifers. You've had pro-lifers in North Carolina who ran afoul of the police because they were there, even though they were social distancing, they didn't have more than 10 people gathered. Uh, And now there's this issue of whether or not these nonprofits, which are considered to be essential businesses, at least in North Carolina, not businesses, but essential organizations, whether or not these pro-lifers have the same right to stand on the sidewalk and protest abortion services when these same states are saying abortion is essential. How can one side be essential, but the other side, which is also considered essential, is being told, no, you can't be here.
3: Well, we do represent the group in Greensboro, North Carolina, um, that had members that were arrested. Uh, and they were simply praying outside on the sidewalk um, and walking. And we believe that Greensboro's actions in that case were unconstitutional. Uh, we have written a letter and and likely if we can't resolve the issue, we'll be filing a lawsuit on their behalf. So you're spot on to, uh, we, we want to make sure that people are, Uh, complying with orders that are clear and consistent, not targeting church, not targeting speech, but across the board. Um, And in that instance, uh, we don't believe that the order was fair and constitutional in how they applied it. Um, So you're spot on in that uh, if they're going to keep abortion clinics open um, and they're going to allow, for example, outdoor activity, those who are engaging in prayer walks are perfectly within their legal rights under the Greensboro, North Carolina order to be out
0: there. Right. Now, now speaking of being outside, this is an important point as well, because people are confused about this. We've seen some of these surfers who've been hauled away in handcuffs for being out on the ocean because the beaches were shut down. We've seen this woman in Pennsylvania. Many people might have seen this. She was arrested for driving a car by herself. She was cited for doing that. So, but the outside issue is very interesting because when they tell people to shelter at home, stay at home, they do allow people to go out and shop, clearly. But what are what are the guidelines on, for example, like you mentioned, the pro-lifers being able to be outside and exercise their religious freedom?
3: Again, we, as we look at, it's a case-by-case situation. And so we, your listeners could certainly contact us via email and our website. We are having nearly 100 inquiries every day about mm. this crisis wow. and responding to those. And it truly, there are, county or- there are county orders, city orders, state orders. So it really is a case-by-case basis. But what we are looking at is, is the order clear in what it's requiring? Is it targeting or treating speech or religion differently than other types of activities? And is it temporary in nature? Those are the three things that are guiding the advice that we're giving to individuals.
0: Well, that's smart advice. That makes a lot of sense. Are you seeing any particular violations, Kristen, as you're hearing about some of these ordinances? What are some of the examples of government overreach that you're seeing, if any?
3: Well, we've seen different jurisdictions um, suggest or even say that churches couldn't have online services, Uh -uh. um, that they can't bring enough people in to essentially put the service online, even though in other contexts, you know, there are Businesses and other types of services where there there are employees that are assembled, and um, that would be unconstitutional. Uh, Washington State, for example, started out with something similar to that, where the governor was suggesting that churches couldn't even bring in enough on people in to to get the service online. They corrected that, thankfully, after a letter. A couple of different instances in Indiana, uh, where the church was targeted, there was an uh, order that was issued that was the church closure order. That is a target. Um, of religion. And you, you've got to treat churches uh, in a similar way. A blanket prohibition on gatherings of 250 or more, for example, on a temporary basis, that's likely constitutional. But if it was instead just applied to churches, that would not be constitutional. Um, so those are the kinds of things we're looking for. Consistency in treatment, a strong government interest, And the means of enforcement, the way they're burdening First Amendment rights needs to, needs to be commensurate with the goal they're trying to achieve.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. That That's nuts. You can't even put on an online service. That's I'm glad that that was corrected because how on the, <laughs> we're trying to obey your non-gathering rules here, folks. Uh, why don't you let us have an online church service or a streaming uh, offering for people who are not able to get out of their houses and go to a sanctuary? Uh, that That's crazy. But, you know, you're really right about this, Kristen, and I'm super glad that you wrote this at the New York Daily News about de Blasio's threat to possibly shut down houses of worship if they don't observe these stay at home orders. Clearly, that's unconstitutional. And we're so glad that Alliance Defending Freedom is standing in the gap. You can visit them at ADFlegal.org. Kristen Wagoner, always good to talk to you, Kristen. Thanks so much and stay healthy. Thank you. You too. Okay. Thanks a lot. We'll be back on Janet Meffer today after this. This is Janet Mefford. Did you know that persecuted believers are praying to receive their own Bible? Nepo is a pastor in Africa attacked while preaching by extremists and he's praying for Bibles for former Muslims who are now following Christ. Ada was forced into an arranged marriage to an abusive atheist in Europe but her godly witness led him to Jesus. Emilio lost everything after his home was burned by witches in Latin America and he's praying for a Bible to share Christ with them. Will you be the answer to these pleas for God? God's Word and see many others come to faith? $5 sends one Bible. $35 sends seven Bibles. And a limited time Bible for Bible match will help us reach our goal of sending God's Word to 1,200 persecuted Christians. Become a Bible sender today by calling 800-YES-WORD. That's 800-YES-WORD. Or by clicking the Bible League banner at JanetMefford.com. 800-YES-WORD. Are you in need of a health care program? You're in luck. As a member of Liberty HealthShare, you're part of a community that comes together to share their medical expenses. You can sign up throughout the year with memberships starting as early as the following month, and there are no contracts or commitments. Programs start as low as $199 per month, and there's no network, so you can choose your own doctors and hospitals. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance, so your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you, too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. Find out more by calling 855-565-2561. That's 855-565-2561. Or visit libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT.
1: You're listening to Janet Mefford today, and now, here's Janet.
0: Welcome back. There is some strange stuff going on. I had mentioned just a couple moments ago the fact that there was a 19-year-old woman cited in Pennsylvania for driving by herself and not staying at home. Who exactly will she be threatening? driving by herself other than the cop who pulls her over. There's all this overreach taking place. There's all this totalitarian impulse, you know, rising to the surface in in certain human beings. And it it is very distressing to see some of this because it's overkill. And, you know, you look across the spectrum, you know how the left operates. They never want to let a serious crisis go to waste. And so here we are, and we're all trying to do our best to be good citizens and to love our neighbors and to do everything that the government gives us guidelines for doing out of the general public interest. I have no problem with that. I do have a problem with police arresting people for driving. What are you doing? You know, that's just crazy. So in the midst of all of this comes another totalitarian impulse. I would dub it that. Chris Wallace over at Fox News was interviewing the U.S. Surgeon General, Vice Admiral Jerome Adams on Sunday and, and showing a video clip of the president saying that he would leave lockdown decisions to the states. Why is he doing that? Because he believes this is what the Constitution orders. We have a 10th Amendment and we have a principle of federalism. And Chris Wallace, though, he just thinks that Dr. Fauci's idea of a lockdown order on a national level might have some merit to it. Adams isn't so sure. Listen to this good cut. This is cut number one.
2: The coronavirus is not a state issue. It doesn't follow or respect state borders. Uh, Dr. Fauci says he believes that there should be a national stay-at-home order. Is he wrong?
4: Well, Chris, uh, it's important to understand that most people across the country are doing the right thing. Over 90 percent of the country is staying at home, and a good proportion, more than average, are staying home even in those nine states. But the last time you and I talked, it was about opioids. People don't know, but uh, I've run a state department of health. I've been involved in health for years, and diseases don't respect the state lines, but we live in a country uh, where we have a system of federalism, and when it comes to opioids, states have different rules and regulations and laws regarding treatment, regarding syringe service programs, as you and I have talked about. Uh, I actually put out a report on tobacco cessation earlier this year, and we know that states have different laws there, and more people will die, even in the worst projections from cigarette smoking in this country, than are going to die from uh, from coronavirus this year. And so uh, we always are struggling with trying to get information out to guide people that we know uh, will help them be healthy with states rights. But it's why we put out these 30 days to stop the spread guidelines. These are essentially our national stay at home order. And we're working with governors to figure out their needs, their desires. Uh, One more important point, the nine states that haven't yet um done done shelter in place orders are states that actually produce a large amount of our food so they're struggling with issues concerning how they can provide for the rest of the country to be able to stay at home but right now my what what i would say to those governors is if you can't give us a month give us what you can give us a week give us whatever you can to stay at home during this particularly tough time and we're going to be hitting our peak over the next next seven to ten days.
0: See, I think that that's a really good point. Not only is the federalism an important point to bring out in terms of, you know, following the Constitution, but when Chris Wallace is concerned that there are still nine states that have not uh, issued these shelter-in-place orders, he makes this great point, the Surgeon General does, that these nine states, by and large, are producing most of our food. Think, Chris, think. What are you doing? And I think this is something that is a very important point to stress. When we look at the individual states, the individual states have a great deal of, I would say, a difference. In many, many ways. For example, you have about half of the cases of coronavirus right now in New York, and you have another hotspot in New Orleans, and you've had some hotspots in some other areas here and there, Michigan and some other areas. You don't have the same problem with coronavirus in the rural areas to the extent that you do in some of these highly populated urban areas. So the states are not the same. The cities are not the same. Why would you have one national top-down order to hold in place every single American by force of law when in certain areas there isn't a sufficient enough outbreak or threat of an outbreak that would warrant it? Listen to some of these nine states, uh, Arkansas, Iowa, Nebraska, North Dakota, Oklahoma, South Carolina, South Dakota, Utah, and Wyoming. They have not ordered their residents to stay in place, but if they're producing most of the food, how do you think that these East Coast elites would feel about it if they went into their grocery stores and they couldn't get their vegan stuff? Where's all my stuff? I don't have my organic bananas. Well, bananas come from elsewhere. Let's say I don't have my corn. I don't have what I need for my salad. Well, okay, fine. In the the case of corn or soybeans, it's grown in the Midwest and those people need to get out and do what they do in order to harvest the crops and make sure that you're getting the food that you want in your local grocery store. Do you think people just snap their fingers and the food shows up? I mean, use your head. And I don't like this this total movement toward the federal government in Washington will solve everything you know, in most cases, if you solve things locally, it gets done more efficiently. That's true with schools. That's true with local governments. Because you're there, you see what is needed on the ground. They're right in front of you. You're dealing with people you know. It just makes more sense. Top-down solutions are not always the best solutions. So I thought that Surgeon General Adams had a really good answer there. Now, I wanted to play, if I can at least get in a cut or two here, of Victor Davis Hanson. He was on Fox News just a few days ago commenting on Andrew Cuomo, the governor of New York, who called the coronavirus pandemic a transformative experience and said that the country is never going to be the same. We are never going to be the same. He said, we can't forget what happened here. I don't think we will get back to normal. We'll get back to a new normal. We won't get back to normal. I don't even know what he's talking about, but this is what Victor Davis Hanson from the Hoover Institution had to say. This is cut to
1: normal is the status quo, is, which was pretty good. And uh, Mr. Governor Cuomo apparently thinks that the status quo didn't help uh, his ideology or his party or his agenda in a way that would have changed things in November. So whether we want to be blunt or you know, naive or whatever the reaction is, this crisis has been weaponized. And it's a a tragedy because we're going to come out of it pretty well, but there are people who feel that they have to emphasize the downside to enact an agenda that otherwise would not be enacted without this popular depression and anger. And so we all know what's going on, and yet... Political correctness says that we can't really identify it and condemn it because to do so, ironically, would be to be partisan in our reaction to what is clearly a partisan manipulation of the disaster.
0: This is the problem the left tends to want to seize a moment to enact its agenda, whether or not it's the refugee resettlement issue that I was discussing earlier in the show with Jim Simpson or whether or not it's uh, something regarding vaccines or whatever it is that they want to come up with or throwing in all of this extra pork inside the relief bill at a time when Americans need every amount of help they can get and you're throwing $325 million for refugee resettlement. This is just what the left does. Now, Hansen had another comment on the ridiculousness of locking down everybody in the same way. This is interesting, cut three.
1: I'm sitting in a state that's the fifth largest economy in the world that's completely shut down and we've suffered less than 250 deaths and we have about three million people, three people per million uh, that have died. We have twice the population of New York and we've suffered one-tenth the deaths and one-twentieth the deaths on per capita basis, and so this one size fit all is is absolutely insane. There are individual conditions, many of which we don't know, but we do know the results, and California should be treated in a different way than New York City, and that means that we could have a graduated return mm-hmm. to some type of normalcy, because we're, it doesn't, We don't shut down the greatest economy in the United States, in California, because we have three people per million dying. That's just a fact of life when we have 760 people in California dying every day. And during this crisis, we've had about four extra on average.
0: This is important. I think this is going to become more and more of an issue in a lot of people's minds as they're doing what they're supposed to be doing, staying in their homes and getting really bored and getting really tired of it and looking at the numbers. And there seem to be some good statistics coming out uh, with the curve flattening in certain areas and the percentage of deaths going down in places like New York a little bit. So we'll have to see what remains and, and what grows and what goes down. We don't know how it will go. All I know is we need to continue to pray for our country. We need to ask for the Lord's mercy on our country. We need to ask for the Lord to be with President Trump and with his team to try to work out all the things that need to be worked out to keep this country safe and to get us back into a normal situation if there is any such thing as normal. But I think we can get back to normal, contrary to what Andrew Cuomo said. I just don't think it's going to come at the hands of the left. We'll just leave it at that. Thank you for being with us here on Janet Mefford Today. Always a pleasure to have you. and We'll see you next time. God bless. This hour of Janet Mefford Today has been brought to you by Bible League. Help us help Bible League send the hope of God's word to 1,200 persecuted believers. $35 sends seven Bibles. And today your gift will be doubled with a limited time match. Call now, 800-YES-WORD. 800-YES-WORD. 800-YES-WORD.